given notice of an urgent oral question to the Minister of Justice. I would remind members that if they wish to ask a supplementary question, they should raise continually in their places. The member who tabled the question will be called automatically to ask a supplementary. Clerk, would you please read the question? To ask the Minister for Justice for her assessment of the impact on public confidence in the administration of justice as a result of the decision not to prosecute British soldiers involved in the killings of 15-year-old Daniel Hegarty and two of the 14 men killed by the Parachute Regiment on Bloody Sunday, William McKinney and Jim Ray. I call the Minister of Justice. Deputy Speaker, and I would ask for some latitude in terms of the time it will take me to deliver my answer, given the sensitivity and the complexity of the issues at hand. Firstly, I want to say to the families of Daniel Hegarty, William McKinney and Jim Ray that I understand and empathise with the hurt and distress which the news that for legal reasons the PPS have determined the prosecution is not possible in these cases will have caused. It is clear that they and other families who lost loved ones are left with an enduring loss and grief which weighs heavily with those surviving family members. They have campaigned unstintingly for many years and despite many setbacks to receive both truth and justice for their loved ones and so this decision will undoubtedly have been incredibly painful. I also understand the wider impact that these cases have in the community, especially for other bereaved families where the events surrounding the loss of their loved ones are unresolved, especially in the context where there appears to be an absence of political will to deal with outstanding legacy issues in an open and transparent way which ensures that both truth and justice will prevail. As Minister of Justice, I have to and do respect the independence of the Public Prosecution Service. As the PPS decision may be open to challenge in the courts, it would be inappropriate for me to be drawn into discourse about the specific decision taken beyond that already set out in the report by the PPS themselves. However, I welcome that the Director for Public Prosecutions was explicit that this development does not undermine previous findings that those killed and injured in these tragic events were entirely innocent, and I trust that families can draw some comfort from that. I consider the transparency of the Public Prosecution Service's statement setting out the basis of its decision should assist the public in understanding the difficulties posed by elements of the ruling of Mr Justice O'Hara on the 30th of April 2021 in the case of R versus Soldier A and Soldier C and its impact on the cases in question. The judge described the procedure under which the Royal Military Police statements were taken as designed in part to protect soldiers from being questioned by the Royal Ulster Constabulary and ultimately from being prosecuted. The judge found that the interview procedures conducted by the historical inquiries team also breached the code of practice governing the conduct of investigative interviews. I continue to have faith in the good judgment of the public and its strong sense that those who serve the public, whatever their occupation or responsibilities, must be accountable for their actions in law. As a Justice Minister, I respect the decisions of independent organisations such as the PPS and that we are all required to work within the due process of law. It is important that factors such as the admissibility of evidence and the ability to conduct a fair trial are given due weight. I said publicly on Sunday that there is no necessary read-across between these cases subject to the PPS's decision and other legacy cases. My views are not dissimilar to those expressed by Judge O'Hara in condemning those 1970 arrangements for interviewing army personnel. However, I believe that public confidence is more likely to be affected by the change of approach to outstanding troubles-related investigations announced by the NIO last year and again this month. 
My concerns regarding the proposed movement of legacy from a justice resolution approach based on the Stormont House Agreement to a somewhat nebulous truth recovery and reconciliation model are well known. I continue to stress and emphasise to the Secretary of State and to the Westminster Government that at every opportunity presented, the importance of sharing the detail of the Government's proposals, in particular the need to provide a robust and comprehensive mechanism to adequately address resource and adequately resource the justice system in Northern Ireland to discharge the legacy pressures that it has to address. I recognise that the passage of time, Mr Deputy Speaker, means that realistically relatively few legacy cases can result in a successful prosecution. However, this does not mean that we should not deploy the full vigour of the law to investigate and, where possible, prosecute cases where the law has been broken. Not to do so would be much more damaging to public confidence in the administration of justice and the rule of law. I call Ms Linda Dillon to ask a supplementary question. Iram Earl Linda Dillon on Kesht Ahur. Can I thank the Minister for coming to the House and for her answer so far? Minister, you have partially answered my supplementary. However, I just would like to have it on the record unequivocally in terms of your own support for these families because it is devastating not only for the families involved but for many families who, who have lost loved ones and who are awaiting legacy inquests and, and judgments. Can the Minister put on the record her opposition to the British Government, any attempt by the British Government to in, introduce an amnesty or statute of limitation for British state forces? And would you also resist any attempts to interfere with the due legal process in respect of legacy inquests, judicial reviews, civil cases or prosecution cases involving British soldiers already before the courts as they would undermine confidence in the justice system? I aware um, that my own party um, and others um, in this House um, signed up to the Stormont House Agreement and I believe that that should have been progressed um, and that it has taken too long to get to this point. We, like other parties, have been asked to engage in a process um, with two governments, with the British and Irish governments, um, to look again at the issue of legacy. The scope of that process is unclear, I think, at best. We're not clear whether that is a super consultation involving the parties about the government's own proposals or whether it is meant to be some kind of negotiation. So, for the time being, um, we are seeking clarity on that from the governments, um, and our participation um, in those engagements remains highly qualified. With respect to the substantive issue about the rule of law, I believe that it is not just a matter for the rule of law to apply to those who were serving soldiers here, but to all of those who were involved in legacy cases. There are many families that have lost loved ones in this place, and there are many families that continue to suffer. All deserve justice and truth, and I would appeal not only to those who are charged with delivering justice and truth through the governments um, to bear that in mind and to bear in mind the impact that any changes to that process through amnesty or statutes of limitations may have on people's confidence in the modern justice system, but I would also call on those who were responsible for those acts to assist those families in finding both justice and truth because I think that there is a lot of healing that still needs to be done in this community, and we are a long way from a process that will deliver that. I call Mervyn Storey. Mr Deputy Speaker, would the Minister accept that pursuing cases in the absence of admissible evidence that so clearly wouldn't stand up in a court uh, is 
something that she, as Justice Minister, uh, could stand over? And does the Minister believe that the criminal justice system can be considered as a neutral arbiter when it comes to dealing with the issues of legacy? And would the Minister comment on why it took so long for our PPS to come to the conclusion on the basis that there was no admissible evidence? Well, there are a number of issues that the member raises. First of all, I do believe that the justice system is capable of acting impartially. In fact, it's one of the few institutions um, within our society uh, that has the broad respect of the vast majority of people in this community um, in terms of its impartiality. With respect to the complexity of the decisions, the decisions around soldiers A and C, clearly, which were made by Judge O'Hara, um, clearly had read across to a certain number of cases. But in order for the PPS to determine what impact it would have in the various cases that are before it um, in terms of legacy, they had to look at each case on its merits. And it is right that they should take whatever time is required to do so, including the, the work that they did um, with senior counsel in reaching their conclusions. As I've said already, um, these decisions may be appealed both within the PPS appeal system itself or via a judicial review in due course. And so it would be inappropriate for me to speculate, but I'm not going to criticise the Public Prosecution Service for doing their job diligently and thoroughly, given the importance of the issues at stake. I think that it is more important that they reach the correct decision than that they reach quick decisions in these cases. However, that doesn't in any way take away from the pain that the families will feel at the news that they have received, as would any family in the circumstances that these families received such devastating news. I call Mark Durkin. I thank the Minister for coming to the House and for her answers thus far. We, along with the dairy public, have, have stood alongside the Bloody Sunday families, the family of Daniel Higgerty, the families of too many uh, victims in their long campaigns for truth and justice. That justice has been denied. But they will not give up, and neither will we. Does the Minister think that the soldiers responsible for the murders of Daniel Higgerty, William McKinney, and Jim Ray should be prosecuted? And does she fear that this decision will now or could now bar the prosecution of any army personnel for atrocities they committed on our streets pre-1974? Well, I mean, Mr. Deputy Speaker, with respect. The member is asking me to second-guess the work of the Public Prosecution Service and their senior counsel, and it would be entirely inappropriate for me as Justice Minister to state here whether or not I thought that soldiers should be prosecuted if the PPS have reached their decision with senior counsel um, that there is not enough admissible evidence on which a prosecution can be based. Unless anyone here finds themselves to be a greater mind than those uh, legal mind than those in the justice uh, in the PPS office, it would be, I think, very risky of us to go down the route of second guessing their, their decisions, and I certainly will not do that. I understand entirely um, the distress of the families, and I understand their concerns. But as I said in my original statement, it has to be due process. And unfortunately, in this case, due process has led to the fact that in these cases, justice will not be possible in the courts due to inadmissibility of evidence. If that decision is subsequently overturned, either at an internal review of the PPS 
um, or as the result of a judicial review, then that could, of course, change the outcome. But given that it is based on a ruling of a judge, which is not open to challenge simply because you disagree with the opinion, but has to be open to challenge only um, at appeal where the judge's decision is either not logical or fundamentally legally flawed, neither of which hold in this case, it is unlikely at this stage um, the change will happen. But members, of course, will respect that uh, the families reserve their right to appeal. With respect to read across to other cases, again, I have been very clear. There is not necessarily read across to all other cases. In fact, there are other cases in the system which have been assessed by the Public Prosecution Service and at this stage are not affected by this ruling. It affects specifically those cases where a compelled statement was required um, from the Royal Military Police of those whose weapons were discharged. It was not given under caution and for that reason was inadmissible. And unfortunately, the subsequent interviews by the HET also did not follow best practice, and therefore those statements were also rendered inadmissible, in that they were so tainted by the original statement and the subsequent statement that they couldn't be admitted. That is not the case in all legacy cases, and it would be a dangerous thing to read across this judgment on these cases to other judgments in other cases. I call Paula Bradshaw. Speaker, and... Um Minister, thank you for coming to the Chamber today. I would also put on um, record my um, uh, deep-felt um, sympathies to the families. I, I very much appreciate the distress Friday's decision will have made. Minister, what do you think needs to happen now going forward to improve confidence in our um, judicial system um, as regards legacy cases? Thank you. Well, I thank the member for her question, and I think, as I said, I am extremely concerned um, with respect to the fact that we do not have a comprehensive process going forward to deal with legacy. At the moment, we have a series of different strands, whether that be the work of the Legacy Inquest branch, whether that be the work of um, the inquest system, whether it's to do with Legacy Investigation branch, um, or whether it is to do um, with the police ombudsman cases. And I think what we need now is to have the engagement with the UK government um, in order to ascertain what exactly the plan that they have going forward is. Until this point, until NDNA, we were all under the impression that the proposals in Stormont House would be taken forward. Indeed, it is part um, of the NDNA agreement that they would be taken forward by the UK government. Now that they have resiled from that um, and are seeking a different model, uh, we will, of course, engage with them in a constructive way, but we remain of the view um, in terms of the impact on the justice system um, that any attempt to prevent people um, where there is admissible evidence and where a court could reach a finding from being able to seek justice in the courts would be wholly wrong and would undermine the modern-day justice system. There are legacy artefacts in these cases in terms of how they were processed, how they were handled, how investigation was completed at the time, uh, which reflect on the system then. But if we deny people the right to pursue justice in the here and now, then we are having an impact on respect for the justice system now, and I think that that has major consequences. I call Jim Allister. Uh, whatever the hurt may be that's felt by families, are there not three immutable principles here? First of all, that only admissible evidence is permissible. Secondly, that the same rule applies to all, irrespective of who they are. And thirdly, 
that statements made without caution are, for the very best of reasons, inadmissible. And therefore, is the bigger question, since all of that has always been clear, is the bigger question not, how did these cases ever get as far as they did in the absence of sufficient evidence? And how did the PPS ever think there was sufficient admissible evidence? Well, Mr Deputy Speaker, with the three points that the member has raised, I concur, and I set that out very clearly in my own statement. Uh, with respect to his final conclusion, however, I disagree, because until the ruling in April of Mr Justice O'Hara, uh, with respect to the admissibility of interviews conducted by the PSNI Historical Inquiry Team in 2010, statements prepared by soldiers in advance of those interviews and also statements made by soldiers to the Royal Military Police in 1972, it was not clear whether any or all of that information would be admissible in court. It was an arguable point of law. While the Public Prosecution Service always accepted that the denial of legal rights and safeguards when taking the original 1972 statements would normally render them inadmissible, they considered the HET interviews, which were voluntary, conducted under caution and with the benefit of legal advice, to be admissible and that the adoption of the 1972 statements in those interviews rendered the 1972 statements in themselves admissible. However, those arguments were rejected by Mr Justice O'Hara in the prosecution of soldiers A and C. So it is important that we allow the court to have that argument, to scrutinise the argument on both sides, to reach its conclusion and then apply that case law um, fairly and without fear or favour across the remaining cases that are in the system. It does not necessarily read across all of the cases and prosecutions, but it does affect, unfortunately, um, for those families um, who are bereaved, the cases of soldiers F and B, and therefore prosecutions will not be able um, to proceed in those cases. And it is right that having made that judgment that the Public Prosecution Service took the time to review all of the cases and make a decision whether or not to proceed, because it would have been wholly wrong to go back to court with evidence that had already, in effect, been judged inadmissible um, by the judge in a previous case. I call Jerry Carroll. Thanks to the member for submitting the question, the Minister for Answers and Solidarity to the Bloody Sunday. Uh, families. Would the Minister agree with me in no other case where we have a situation where somebody who has admitted to a very serious crime, cold-blooded killing no less of civilians, which Soldier F has previously done, and effectively get away without a prosecution case proceeding against them? And does she agree with me also that this decision, this awful decision, shows how inaccurate claims of a two-tier justice system stacked against soldiers and state forces really is? I would not concur with either of the members' assertions. Firstly, I do not agree um, that this is evidence of a two-tier justice system. Whilst I recognise the pain it will cause to the families, it is about applying the justice, uh, justice in a fair, impartial um, and balanced way. Um, and unfortunately, he is also wrong to say that there would never be a case where someone would make such admissions um, and not uh, face prosecution, because the point was made by the previous member that any admission of guilt, any a statement of fact that is made, must be under caution. And I'm sure the member would be appalled were people to be pulled in by police, asked to make statements under compulsion, not told of their legal rights, not entitled to any kind of legal counsel at the time, 
um, and told that they were compelled to make a statement if that were then to be used against any citizen in terms of prosecution. And so those safeguards are there for a reason, to ensure that when somebody speaks to an incident that happened and the evidence is largely one of self-incrimination, that the individual is fully aware when they speak um, of what they are actually saying and the import of it. And those checks and balances, whilst they cause huge frustration, are part of the justice system and have been for generations in order to protect the rule of law, in order to protect the ordinary citizen. It is, of course, frustrating, and I don't disagree uh, with the member, that when people made those statements, it incriminated themselves, um, and that we now are in a situation uh, where those prosecutions could not, be, um, could not proceed. But two wrongs do not make a right. And running a coach and horses through the justice system would not make it more effective. It would undermine basic principles of public protection for the ordinary citizen, and I'm sure the member would not wish that at all. I call Diane Dodd. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker, and can I thank the Minister uh, for her answers thus far. Um, there is no doubt um, that violence in Northern Ireland has left uh, a terrible legacy of tears. Um, I would like to focus uh, my remarks and my question to the Minister on uh, the issues that she has raised around the legacy process. Um, there is, and I, I welcome her assertion that this process should be transparent and that it should be justice-based. But many of us have listened in Northern Ireland over the last number of weeks to the Irish Republic's Foreign Minister pontificate and lecture us on the issue of legacy. While many uh, cases um, are there concerning his own government, and particularly the allegations of collusion between Garda officers and the provisional IRA, indeed in the case of prominent members of the judiciary in Northern Ireland, um, will the minister take action uh, to ensure that these victims have a right to redress, have a right to the truth, um, and indeed have a right to justice? Uh, the Minister will be aware that the question itself is pretty much focused on recent announcements. So it's at the Minister's discretion whether she chooses to answer the birth of the question asked. I am happy, um, Mr Speaker, um, to give a brief answer on this. The, the Member will recognise um, that investigation of legacy cases is not within my remit. It is not within my remit to prosecute cases. That is a matter for the Independent Prosecution Service. It is not in my remit to judge on cases. That is a matter for the Independent Judiciary. And it would be wrong for there to be political interference in that system. It is right that any system of dealing with legacy needs to be comprehensive. It needs to take account of the needs of all victims and put them at the centre of this. Um, and it needs to be open and transparent and accountable. So whilst I agree with what the member is asking for, I think it is important that we take the opportunity as members of this House and as members of the various parties in the executive to engage with both governments about their responsibilities in that regard, but also with those other members of our community who may hold information on legacy cases who may know who pulled the trigger that led to people losing their lives, who may know where bodies are buried and families are distressed as to where those may be. And it is incumbent on all of us 
to try to extract that information so that families can get truth, if not justice, in all cases, because the prosecutorial threshold for cases of this age will be extremely difficult to meet. And I have always been honest with people in saying that it will be for only a small number of cases at this remove that a successful prosecution will be possible. But in principle, it must be allowed to follow due process because interference with that has much more serious consequences. Martina Anderson, on and I call Martina Anderson to ask a question. Uh, and, and thank the Minister for her responses so far. Um, Minister, despite a British Prime Minister eventually acknowledging to the Bloody Sunday families that what happened on the streets of Derry in 1972 was unjustified and unjustifiable, uh, Minister, do you understand that for the Bloody Sunday families, for Daniel Higgerty's family and for the people of Derry and indeed beyond, that the news that they received on Friday was a bad day for justice and that it spoke to a widely held few for many who have been trying to fight for justice and truth from British state violence that British troops have acted with impunity. And I want to acknowledge what you said about the families, the Bloody Sunday families, who throughout this have acted with courage, with resilience, with dignity. They will continue to do so, and their fight for justice and truth is not over as um, a result I, of what I they received. I respect entirely the point. Sorry, you made the question. Okay. Well, I mean, I was in Parliament when the then Prime Minister um, made his statement, and I think it was an important statement to make in that it acknowledged um, that what happened was unjustified and unjustifiable. Nothing in this decision changes that. Nothing in this decision changes that. This is a point of law. And whilst I understand that it may feed the concerns and fears of those who feel that over many years their path to justice and truth has been frustrated, and I completely acknowledge um, that people feel that way, it nevertheless is a point of law that could not be ignored. And it is incumbent on all of us as elected representatives to be circumspect about amplifying concerns on issues like this, as opposed to trying to provide the reassurance that is necessary. I have no doubt that the Public Prosecution Service looked at these cases incredibly carefully. Had there been a point of law on which these cases could have been pursued, had the prosecutorial threshold been met, then they would have done so. And in cases of Soldier A and C, they went to court to fight for the admissibility of the evidence. However, the PPS cannot um, continue to use evidence which has already been ruled inadmissible by a judge um, to, pr to pursue cases um, of a similar ilk. And therefore, there was no alternative decision that they could have reached in these cases. They went and they spoke directly to the families, recognising the pain that this would cause. I think they did so in a manner that was respectful and sympathetic to the families. But I hope that members in this chamber will be careful um, about use of language around two-tier justice or use of language around um, obstruction um, of justice to people. This is a clear case where the PPS have had to take significant legal uh, caution 
around the admissibility of evidence, and it is for the protection of us all, however hard that may be to reconcile, that those statements which are either compelled or not taken under caution or not taken with access to a legal adviser should not be admissible in a court of law because any of us could find ourselves in a situation where we are prosecuted unjustly if that were to be allowed. Thank the Minister for coming to the House and for answers thus far. It is important, Minister, to recognise and applaud the dignity, the courage, the strength, the forbearance of the families in light of the PPS decision and over so many years, but they don't need applause, they don't need recognition, they need truth, they need justice. Given the pain and the trauma the victims and survivors have suffered and are suffering, can I ask the Justice Minister if she believes an amnesty can form the foundation on which reconciliation can be built. Victims, survivors and their families do not believe so. Well, Mr Deputy Speaker, I don't believe so either. I think that denying people who may be able to um, see a prosecution in their case the opportunity to have access um, to redress in the courts um, will only compound the hurt and the grievance that will be felt by families. In this particular case, it was a point of law that stood between the families um, and justice in the courts. And whilst that is painful, um, I have been honest at all times that given the remove from the circumstances, there were always risks that these cases would be difficult to prosecute. However, that is an entirely different scenario to one where we actually intervene to prevent cases which could go before the court with admissible evidence from being able to do so. Mr Deputy Speaker, there has been much debate over many years, from 1998 and before, um, and going on to the current day um, about the use of amnesty. I think that there is a huge pain at the heart of our society, and I do not believe um, that an amnesty will deliver uh, what, any kind of solution to that problem. But I also have to be clear that I do not believe that the criminal justice system either can resolve all of these issues, and that has been demonstrated, I think, by these decisions and the inadmissibility of the evidence. We do need to find both a way to allow families where truth can be recovered to recover that truth, where reconciliation is possible to be able to pursue that reconciliation as a community, um, but also where justice can be found to be able to pursue justice unimpeded. I call Alan Chambers. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. In the, in the general issue of uh, amnesty, would the Minister agree with me that it is reprehensible that any government would provide letters of comfort to dozens of individuals guaranteeing they would never face prosecution for terrorist crimes they may have committed and that no one should ever be considered above the due process of law? Thank you. I would agree with the member, um, and I am on record um, in another place in the uh, House of Commons when we did an inquiry into this as an MP um, that I am opposed um, to the issue of the OTR letters. And I am glad um, that, on the advice of the then Attorney General, um, Dominic Grieve, Theresa Villiers effectively rescinded those OTR letters on the floor of the House of Commons um, back in 2014 2015. No one should be above the law. Whether those members are in a uniform or a paramilitary organisation or in any other capacity, no one should be above the law. And any intent to make people above the law is wrong. It is a corruption of justice and it should not happen. And I have to say that I think that from my perspective as Justice Minister, 
My sole concern in all of this is that we protect the integrity of the justice system in the here and now. We cannot fix what happened in the past in terms of how these things unfolded, but we can ensure that the justice system and its integrity is not damaged going forward, because I think that that would be a high price to pay um, in order to avoid confronting what was a horrible and violent past that we lived through in this place. I call Chris Little for a question. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. <clears throat> can I thank the Justice Minister for continually acknowledging the pain and trauma experienced by the Bloody Sunday families and indeed all victims of unjustified violence in Northern Ireland, and for responding to this decision with the leadership it demands. Can I ask the Justice Minister if she agrees that an urgent need remains to implement a properly funded, comprehensive process for dealing with the past, a framework for which has been well established by the work of victims, Eames Bradley, the Hasso Sullivan Talks and the Stormont House Agreement, and in the absence of which trauma will continue to affect people across Northern Ireland for generations? I completely concur. I think that victims, I can only imagine um, how traumatising it is for victims to hear again that there are going to be talks about legacy. Um, how many times have we sat in rooms and discussed these issues and talked about a comprehensive process, the need for access to truth and justice, the need for practical support um, to help those victims who still suffer today? Um, and yet we continue to talk instead of act. And I believe that it is time um, for this society to confront um, its legacy, to confront the violence of our past, to do it in an open and a transparent and an accountable way, but to do it with the, with the sole purpose of trying to bring some peace to the victims and some form of reconciliation and peace to our community. Because I think if we fail to take the opportunity in this generation, it will leave a long legacy in the next generation to deal with. Members, that concludes this item of business. Thank you. And Minister, you're staying with us for the next item, I believe. Thank you.